0: Please stand by for a special podcast from Two Works For You. And welcome to this podcast from Two Works For You. I'm Chief Meteorologist Mike Colley. We're glad to have you here once again today. And we are going to be talking to Nick Kaufman from IMSA, who is a paramedic. And he is going to tell us the daily life of a paramedic and Kind of some of the things you've always wanted to know and you thought about uh, when you see an ambulance flying by. We're going to speak to Nick, and we, of course, have meteorologist Brandon Woolley alongside with us today. Uh, Welcome, gentlemen. Well, thank you very much for having me. Thanks, Mike. So, Nick, uh, let's start with you. How long have you been with EMSA? I am just a couple weeks shy of 13 years. 13 years. Now, you know, ever since you're a kid, you're always enamored by the sirens and, Mm -hmm. and the flashing going by. As a kid, it's the natural, oh, that's really cool to look at. But as you get older, you realize that, you know, there's potentially a life threatening emergency as that vehicle goes by. Kind of give us a description on some of the experiences you have with on maybe on a typical call each day.
1: Uh, Sure. I mean, when you when you get the call come in, um, it it sort of there's a computer mounted in the truck. We call it the MDT, the mobile data terminal. as someone is on the phone with nine one one and they're getting information, that that information gets pumped to you in real time. So you get just a little piece of the puzzle at a time. You know, it starts with sometimes just a general, like an intersection or a general area. Then gotcha. you get the address, and then you'll get the nature of what's going on. And it kind of unfolds a little bit at a time, and so you know, sometimes it, it can it can get your blood really going as that story starts to come through. Or sometimes when you realize, like you know, I usually have more information by now. There's something going on that on the on the phone that I'm not hearing that. Maybe there's there's too much information, maybe someone's too upset or excited and they can't get the words out. And so you're you're kind of walking in with a guess as opposed to, you know, maybe a little bit better prepared. So it can it can be anything from something very, very minor to obviously very, very life threatening.
0: So I call nine one one, a nine one one operator, uh, obviously answers, you know, fire police or medical. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, medical. And uh, you know, at nine one one I I need medical advice. How soon after that are you notified or pinged? That within it's time to go?
1: thirty seconds. Usually wow. the first thing: this is IMSA, What's the address of your emergency? Um, within that stuff right there. I mean, if you're calling from a cell phone, cell towers will ping it. Um, in Tulsa, we're lucky; we have advanced nine one one. So if your phone has GPS enabled, it starts to dial into that. So we can before we have
0: a good idea of what's going on, wheels are starting to turn. So, so even if you have a head injury and you're, mm-hmm. you're calling nine one one, the uh, GPS ping actually where you're at just in case you're you're not identifying or maybe not able to identify where you're at.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um and even you know it's 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 very, very common, you know, that there's there's something you know you're not accustomed to dealing with or some you know huge emergency or something's happened and you forget where you are all of a sudden. Sure. Or, you know, highway I forty four becomes I two forty four frequently. And so, you know, we can we can pin down that that type of thing of like, okay, well, you know, in the instance of a car wreck, mm-hmm. probably more than one person's calling or, you know, someone's saying I-44, someone's saying, okay, well, then we'll send two people and we'll see who finds what, that type of
0: thing. Sure. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So we're going through the kind of walking through the process of the 911 call, your response. You know, I've called 911. Within 30 seconds, you're notified. Mm-hmm. At what point in your brain does it trigger that adrenaline rush? Like, oh boy, here we go. Um, usually when the nature of the call pops up, when we
1: start to actually get an idea of what the emergency is, you know, is this someone having chest pain? Is this someone having a breathing problem? Um, is it some type of injury or a collision? And then those notes will start to come in for, if it's a motor vehicle accident, how many cars do they think are involved and kind of get some descriptions of a direction of travel? Um, you know, certainly certain times of day and certain weather conditions and everything, you know, if it's a, if it's a you know, slick weather and it's somewhere up on the highway, we know it, it could be bad. If right. this isn't the first one, it's, it's one of several to come and you start kind of playing there. Well, what's going to be the game plan when we get there? Um, if it's an area of town that we know really, really well, um, just, you know, think of large businesses and things like that. Okay. where well, where do we need to park? You know, um, how, how close can we park and get our equipment to where we need to go? So we're not having to, to hike on the way there. Um, to get to find our patient
0: and is there normally two of you or more in that vehicle um typical would be two okay um
1: you would see three if there's you know sometimes there's like a student who's learning gotcha. or um someone who's new to our system here that needs to to be trained up they'll be put up with a field training officer um until they they get you know comfortable until we you know figure their around. you know if you've been a, a paramedic for many many years but you've lived in Tulsa for two weeks you know not great to be put on your own you <laughs> need someone to help kind of walk you through a little bit sure a and quick trip what's that you know
0: so do you have GPS mapping in the vehicle
1: to yes. guide you to where to go yes absolutely everyone gets trained on on the mapping and be able to break down addresses by hand you know the major hundred blocks here in town you have to pass a test, and, and get those committed to your brain. So wow. ideally, whoever's behind the wheel, if I give you an address, I should be able to tell you the closest major intersection, and then whoever's in the passenger seat, then they'll actually start to look in the map of, okay, if this is a neighborhood, okay, you can't get in off of this street. You have to go in off of this street. Um, and if it's a you know newer construction or sometimes this, maybe something doesn't make sense or an area maybe just you know on the outskirts of town that we don't go to as often for some reason or if it's... Um, well, I said new construction. Sure. Um, well, then, you know, you can call the dispatch center. Hey, you know, on the radio and just look, I, I need you. Let me drop down to a side channel. I need gotcha. you to walk me in for a little bit. Or um, in those large, maybe an industrial complex, we'll say, hey, you have to come in this way. This is the one gate. Gotcha. So someone will walk us through that way.
0: Now, on a side note, on a normal day, do you know every shortcut then? <laughs> uh, you have to quiz me. I know a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. I doubt I know all of them. Sure. And I have definitely been proven wrong of ones that, you know, we thought were there that weren't. So <laughs> Exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you're you're on your commute to this emergency. Mm-hmm. Uh, your adrenaline is starting to go. Now listen, I'm I'm I don't know, I can't speak for Brandon, but I'm I'm a wuss. I'm I'm a scared of cat. All right. I'd be like, oh no, what am I going to counter? How am I going to be able to handle that? What is your thought process when you're heading towards that emergency?
1: Um, A lot of those is, I mean, especially when you, when when I was new out of school, you know, we've got a a great um, resource of standard protocols that we use, our our medical director's office sets that, hey, when you're in these situations, these are kind of the guidelines, and it's medications and, and, you know, sort of algorithms to work through, so I am not above, if it's something I haven't thought about in a little while, just go ahead and refresh. Um, Luckily, we live in a digital age where there's an app for everything. We have apps for pediatric medication doses and things like that. Those exist. And so if if that is relevant, I'll absolutely
0: go through and, and thumb that out really quick and figure it out. Um, and, and you're here in the background. Yes. Jude, give us a quick description of, of who Jude is. Uh, Jude is, is one of my partners.
1: He is a year and a half old Golden Doodle. Okay. Um, he's our therapy and comfort dog. Okay. So he's out with me today and he, he came to pay a visit. So Aww, he's, he's, he's pretty good. But beautiful dog. Yeah. And so what is his role? How, how does he do that therapy? So when he was about 10 weeks old, he arrived here in town. His mom and dad work in an ambulance service down in Amarillo, Texas. And they were some of the first dogs to work maybe outside of a hospital setting. You know, therapy dogs have been around for a very long time, and they they really do a great job at providing comfort to those in need, and and really just have an innate ability to just kind of figure that out. Like, hey, this is someone who wants to play with me, this is someone who wants, you know, someone to cuddle with. so we had the opportunity to say, hey, does someone want to volunteer to take this guy on and train him? And they put his puppy picture in the email, so it was kind of a no-brainer. Like <laughs> <Right>. it, <wasn't, laughs> it wasn't really, I think I volunteered before I told my wife and said, hey, we need to get after this. Um, so we spent about a year um, getting him trained and in school. Jude,
0: and uh, Brandon, Jude really is taking to you. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think he might uh, you, you smell
2: might. Uh, my dog Penny yeah. Oh yeah, probably <laughs> <laughs> from this morning on me. So I think that's what Jude <laughs> yeah. is uh, honing in on. Brandon, his, uh, you're Penny. just a friendly person overall i, I think mean she, i uh, yeah I, mean. I think uh yeah definitely uh, penny understands that at home and, <laughs> and jude is understanding that as well
1: yeah he's he's very happy he's uh he if he doesn't get his his amount of love in for the day <laughs> he, he's just not doesn't feel like his day is going right so we get it done
2: now does jude do something every day in terms of providing <laughs> care uh,
1: pretty much um it's It's kind of he will his primary mission is for um, you know a lot of the responders and stuff. Definitely, if we have someone who they've had a bad experience, they've had a bad call, or even just kind of a long day, and they just want someone to decompress with, that's kind of one of his big stuff. What we see a lot is people will call. And they'll request if they, you know, a, a medic will be on scene with something that it's, a, it's a, maybe going to be a prolonged, not that emergent life-threatening stuff, but maybe something's a little bit more complicated. Maybe social service needs to be involved. And so we'll get a phone call and say, hey, you know, I think, I think it will get some benefit for Jude to come out here. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, we make a, a lot of steps in the emergency room where we'll come by and, and visit periodically. And so we've, we've gotten a note of the nursing staff there. And so sometimes we'll get caught um, definitely at St. Francis with the Children's Hospital, the pediatric emergency room they they know his routine pretty well they right. say hey you know over here i think would really be beneficial and then he does what he does best he he gets in and brings a smile to people's face so it, it's very cool it's kind of a new thing
2: that's
0: great so get back track you're mm-hmm. you're arriving to the emergency destination sure. in your mind what's your first Thing you need to do. Um, one of the first things
1: they kind of drill in in school is just that that you know, um, you know BSI, scene safe, body substance isolation, sometimes called universal precautions. I forget which one's more current. Um, and then scene safety. When you pull up and you start to put the, the truck in park, is is it safe for me to be here right now? Okay. And that can mean a, a lot of things. It could you know it could be in the the crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, traffic control is a huge is a huge concern. If we're on the side of a highway somewhere, are we parked in a way where we're going to be safe if we get out of the vehicle and start working? Um, and then start just, you do the, they call the, the windshield assessment or the scene size up, you know, um, does the, the description I got on the computer on the way here is that match what I'm actually seeing? Know, oftentimes it doesn't. Um, and then going on, you know, how many people do we have involved? How hurt do they look? Do I need help? You know, if you're the only ones there right now, if the, maybe the fire department hasn't arrived yet, or is sure. something, maybe law enforcement needs to be involved, um, do I have that help coming, and what is it going to take for them to get here? Do I need to get on the radio and start doing that? Do we need more than one ambulance? Like, That's the type of stuff that goes through is, you know, do I have all the tools I need to get started to work? Um, and then go in and just make that make that contact, you know?
0: I imagine you, you've got either really sick or hurt uh, individuals, and then you probably have really scared individuals as sure. well. And, and in your role, I mean, it's almost like you're a uh, – uh, just telling people to breathe, to relax, that you've got it under control. Um, I'm sure there's just a lot of chaos going on at that time. It, does it ever get, uh, a little too overwhelming at all? Um, there, everyone has probably had that situation. Generally speaking, we, we do a really good
1: job of, of kind of keeping, we, you know, we, train through kind of a drill and sort of a process. And I think just naturally everyone sort of develops their own style of like, well, the first thing I do is, you know, I'm, I'm just a few feet away from you, but I can see like, you've got good color in your skin. You don't seem to like you have your trouble breathing. You don't, I don't see any panic or anything in your face. So I realize like you're probably doing okay. Right. Um, But if you see anything that's out of line, like, that's already kind of got my attention. And so maybe, you know, start with, first of all, hey, my name's Nick. I'm with the ambulance that you may see behind me or not. You know, just kind of start with the basics right there and just see how that goes. You know, if we can get a little bit of a dialogue and if I can kind of keep where, you know, hey, I'm not worried. Do I look worried? If I don't look worried, you don't need to look worried. Sure. That kind of, I mean, I've I've said that many, many times. And just kind of, you know, get people get people kind of in into the lane that you're in right there and, and just start by building that relationship just in a few minutes of, Hey, we're, we're okay. I need you to you know talk to me so I can help you. And then we'll just kind of go on from there. And one of the biggest things that I, I remember I was taught early on by people who'd been doing this much longer than me at the time is remind people, you know, remind yourself that other people aren't used to working in an ambulance and they don't know what these tools are and they don't right. know what they're for. So just, you know, maybe kind of think out loud and walk through that process, so, you know, and sometimes it feels like you're being silly, like, Hey, this is a blood pressure cuff. It's going to give your arm a hug. Well, if you've got other stuff on your mind, maybe you're you know, severely hurt or you're injured. Sure. Or, um,
2: that's good reminder. You know, right. helps calm that mind. It's sure. very calming, yeah. very calming and reassuring to the patient. Um, Cause they got a lot on their mind, as you said as well. And they're probably mm-hmm. just, you know, freaked out. Yeah. absolutely. A uh, couple of questions for you, Nick. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you know, when the fire department and uh, the police are on their way and can you see their location and where you're going?
1: Um, we do in the 911 center. That, that computer, I was telling about the, the mobile data terminal. It's uh, attached to the 911 center's um, CAD, the computer-aided dispatch. Um, all those dispatchers for the fire department, EMSA, the police department, they all sit in the same building, um, and the CADs are interconnected. So I can, I can usually see right away that, hey, this, uh, you know, uh, fire engine 1-8 on Brookside, they're going to come, they're coming to the scene as well. Or if they're sending multiple, you know, apparatus, because maybe the f- call came into them instead of us. So, you know, if it's a structure fire, for example, they're going to have a lot more information than, so we can kind of see that in particular. And if I don't have the information, then I'll just radio dispatch and ask them, hey, uh, you know, does do the fire department have this call?
2: So you're mostly in constant radio contact with dispatch, not necessarily... The police officer or, or the fire department truck, right?
1: Oftentimes, it's it's just easier to do that way because they can, you know, since again, since they're staying in the room, they can just they can stand up and yell at each other if they have to, right? Um, versus me, we can um, talk directly to specifically with the fire department if needed. Um, the truck ra- itself, yeah. Rarely does that come up. Um, normally, that would be if we're maybe responding outside of like the city of Tulsa to some of those smaller areas, and it's gonna, you know, a, a good example might be like something going on like Keystone State Park. If they're if they're already out in the woods and stuff, and we're still driving that way, someone who can fill us in on some of that thing um, versus what you'd normally expect to see inside the city limits. Now, What's
2: the most uh, frequent occurrence that you see for calls day-to-day? Is it a car accident? Is it a structure fire? Is it just you know, trouble with someone's, you know, breathing. What is it usually that you see day to day?
1: Typically, um, breathing calls and chest pain are going to be pretty close to neck to neck. Um, this, this time of year, breathing problem almost worked, uh, wins out almost definitively.
2: Okay. And then what would you say the second would it be possibly a car accident?
1: Um, it would depend. We, there's a lot of different ca- classifications that can go through. Um, it would depend, um, if you broke it down, you know, days of the week, hour by hour, we look at all that kind of stuff. Um, you would see, you know, uh, two three o'clock in the morning less likely to see a car wreck than you know two o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, for example. It just kind of would depend on that. Usually, it doesn't it doesn't jump out to you much more than um, standard chest pain, breathing call. Sometimes that where they kind of the trouble unknown type calls where they're still trying to get that information. Those are fairly common.
0: At what point do you single? Hey, you know what? This is way more serious, and we need live flight in here to. I mean, really you know, get this person to a, a another hospital or, or so, however you decide, obviously sure. you're the expert on that. Um, within a few,
1: definitely I would say that first minute you're really taught pretty early on um, is the patient sick or not sick. Yeah. Basically, you know, is this something, you know, an awful oftentimes times you would hear is, is it stay and play or load and go okay. pretty quickly early on. Um, you can tell by people's maybe mental status or one thing that's always jumped out at me is the skin color and condition. Sure. Someone's real pale and they're real slow to talk to you and stuff. Um, If there's not a quick answer for what that is right there, whatever you find out is probably really bad. It's probably time sensitive. Um, And me staying inside your house trying to figure that out isn't going to do you any well. We'll figure it out while we're going to the hospital, probably quickly.
0: All right. So you're loading back up in in the vehicle Mm -hmm. and and you're heading back. You've got a very critical situation in the vehicle and you need to get to the hospital. Mm -hmm. How frustrating is it? Because I see this a lot just as a commuter on an everyday basis, people not getting over and moving <laughs> over uh, it, it drives me insane watching sure. i'm and like you're, sure.
2: and you're supposed to stop you're supposed yes. to come pull. to a complete stop and pull yeah. over
0: and allow uh, access for that that emergency vehicle to pass by and, and just because i know that if i'm ever in that situation i want everybody out of the way mm-hmm. you know you got to
2: get to the hospital yeah
0: we you got to get that person that's precious so as the as the driver the passenger in that emergency vehicle knowing you have someone so critical in the back how frustrating is that to you um, it, it can be, there's a couple
1: different ways to look at it. I mean, first of all, I'll admit being behind the wheel, I've absolutely, um, not been very pleased in those situations. Sure. Um, right. however, if I'm doing my job correctly, First of all, I've probably spotted you a long ways away, mm. and I'm just I'm hoping you'll hear me eventually and just go through. Um, one of the biggest things that we really have to remind ourselves is we we absolutely we can just drive fast all out if we if we you know if we want to. Right. We won't though, um, because there you know the safety is the biggest concern. I need mm. to get you to the hospital. Right. I don't need to hit anything on the way there because then, if if I stop, then another ambulance has to come and pick you up out of the back of my truck. Right. And then we have to go. It's it, just isn't a good situation at all. So if we're really doing our job correctly, we're still, the the key phrase would be driving with due regard. So I do want you to pull over. I want you to yield to the right, but I also, um, we're not going to drive as fast as we humanly possible. Um, a really good example is just like driving through Brookside up here. If it's a nice day, especially on the weekend, there's a lot of people out on foot, right? Um, 80 miles an hour is not appropriate to drive under any circumstances, lights or no. So, if I'm coming down through here, maybe going to you know St. John's up that mm-hmm. way, we're still going to take that into account. Even if we've got all the lights and everything, you may actually see we may not be doing much more than the speed limit, probably the speed limit at much because I'm more concerned with everything else that's going around. So even though we're not going to be, you know, we're, we're using the lights to let everybody know we're coming, we're going to get you there as quick as we can, we're going to do it safer than we are going to do it quicker.
0: Now, I've been very lucky to have uh, wonderful courses taught uh, for driving uh, mm-hmm. by uh, wonderful police officers. Uh, now, can you give the basics on pulling over to the right? I know you mention it to the right mm-hmm. because even some people pull the left. Sure. Now, at least I had learned, and this might not be still true, that if if the person pulls over to the left, that you, technically you're not even supposed to pass them on the right, that you're always supposed to pass them on the left
1: yes we're always supposed to to pass on the left and mainly is because you're supposed to yield to the right sure and you know if it's it's interesting sometimes people like you you really just you know you're you are going about your own day and you're you're listening to music or a podcast or something and then all of a sudden you just look up and the, the ambulance is right behind you and right. for all you know it just came out of nowhere um so if i try to pass you on the right when all of a sudden your brain catches up it says hey i'm supposed to get on the right well you're going to pass into me that's not going to work right so that is the idea is, is your job would be um, pull to the right mm-hmm. when it's safe to do so and slow down or come to a complete stop. You know, if you're on the highway, don't come to a complete stop on the highway, but you know, drop back down this below the speed limit and give me a chance to get around you. Sure. Um, if it's not safe or, you know, for whatever reason, maybe if you look over to your right and you can't see if it's safe to yield over, like, it's okay. Take the second to make sure what you're doing is safe because the last thing I want you to do is get into a car wreck because of me.
2: And what about intersections? I always, you know, if I'm you know, pulled over to the right, coming to a stop, and I see you guys approaching an intersection, I'm just always so scared because, you know, who knows, you know, someone is not going to stop or the light's not going to... Now, do you have c- control over those lights or just the fire department?
1: Um, we do not, no. Um, the, the kind of devices and things like that, what we will do is if it's a if it's a red light that we're coming to we're still going to come to a complete stop and we're going to check both um, sides of travel. If it's a large intersection, you're going to see we're going to creep across a lane at a time because we're going to make sure everyone has a chance to see us and no one's going to come out of the, out of the way to surprise us. Um, And that, even if it's a green light, we're still going to check that as well, especially if it's maybe your downtown, all those larger buildings and it's what we call like a blind intersection. I'm going to make sure that there's no one coming before we're going. So that does get a lot of people's attention. Sometimes they'll see the lights, they'll see the siren, and then they'll see us stop at the intersection. Like, we're just making sure everyone saw us, making sure that I see everybody and then I've, I've checked all the cars and see that they're not moving anymore and that there isn't, you know, somebody who's maybe, um, you know, they were three cars back and they didn't see and they're like, why is everyone stopped?" And they want to say all of a sudden they're going to go around. You know, we don't we don't want that intersections always, always get our attention.
0: Is there a severity index where the lights are on or the lights are off? Uh, I mean, are you sometimes transporting someone even though the lights aren't on?
1: Oh yeah. Most of the time. Okay. Most of the time. If you see us with lights on more often than not, there's not a patient in the back. We're going okay. to the scene. Gotcha. Um, it's, it's relatively uncommon that we will um, transport people to the hospital emergent status. I, if I was to take just a computer shot in the dark, it's sure. probably about 20% of our transport. Okay. Um, and that goes to say we're, we're capable. We have a lot of abilities to treat people um, while in their home. We've got a lot of medications. The sure. biggest things that you would think of is stuff that's time sensitive, um, severe, you know, multi-system trauma. You know, that's a time, sensitive thing they need surgeons they don't need paramedics so they need to be in a hospital Um, things like heart attacks you know time is muscle is the big thing that's a time sensitive stroke would be another one so any things like that where we can tell that there's a a clock ticking or if it you know maybe that indeterminate medical I don't know what exactly is going on but I know it's not good and you're showing you know maybe signs of what we call like decompensated shock your body is no longer compensating for whatever's happening to it it's starting to decompensate Mm -hmm. and so we need to get you to the hospital but um, for, for a lot of things, even like a breathing problem, a good example. You know, we've got you know nebulized medications. We have you know I, IV steroids, and so we can we can take the nice. You know, what you just say? We're going to take a nice, easy ride. I'm going to do a lot of stuff on the way, and then if something you know something changes, maybe the medications aren't working like they're supposed to. Okay, well let's turn the lights on. Maybe okay. We just need to
0: go, right? So your goal is to keep them stable until mm-hmm. you get to the to the hospital, and you have all the tools in there to to do that. Mm-hmm. That that's really cool, and that's also reassuring to know. You know, it's so good to have you on here today, kind of walk through this. Um, Because, you know, sometimes you bring guests on, you don't know where it's going to end up. Mm -hmm. But I have to say, this is one of the most, we've done weather ones, but this is the most interesting podcast we've had to date, Yeah, in my humble opinion. I think so, yeah. Um, And so
2: we really appreciate Nick coming in and also Jude, the EMSA service dog. mm -hmm.
0: It it is really great, Nick, what you do. And I've got one more question for you, and that is, uh, you know, look in severe weather modes, mm-hmm. it's stressful. Oh yeah, um, it can be uh, where it can wear you down mm-hmm. uh, over time. Especially last May, I just we were just. Oh stuck. yeah, I could imagine. Yeah, and you get in that adrenaline zone mm-hmm. too. What about yourself? How do you take care and how do you decompress after? Because you deal with ten times worse than what we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. You you are there on the ground helping those people out. How do you decompress from these? type of crazy uh, situations you come into.
1: One of the biggest things that that we tell people to do, is, first of all, take the time to decompress. Mm-hmm. You know, I said earlier that we're really good at in the moment, you know, taking those feelings and emotions and kind of putting them in the cabinet so we can get a job done. One thing that we're not always so good about is going back and you know, going through those emotions and those feelings at a later time. Um, so taking that time to decompress. Um, I always recommend everybody, if they're if they're brand new to the field, something like that, get yourself a good hobby that's not medical related. You know, have a good friend group that's not medical related. Right. You know, hang out with some people where you don't, because I promise if you get five or six medics in the room, regardless of that, we're just going to talk about work, yeah, like yeah. just the way it works. I'm sure most people are that way. Right, So. Yeah going Santa. on to that yep. um, I'm fortunate my wife is not at all in this field okay. so I can go home and we have we can just have a completely unrelated conversation I've had an off day <laughs> I can just leave it at that it's like I've had an off day Do you want to talk about it Uh 10 minutes, you know, let me get changed. Let me get out of my uniform. Let me take a shower. Then we can talk about sure. it, that sort of thing. Right. Um, exercise is huge. That's amazing. I mean, just get it, you know, all those, all those pent up feelings and all that stuff. Mm. Just, you know, find a nice healthy way to get all that sure. worked out and then sleep. Oh my goodness. Sleep, sleep, sleep. Um, that's a huge one as well. Um, we're, I think most people were, are in this kind of Red Bull world where yeah, if you just right. like, oh, I need to, I need to do this and I need to do this. And then when I get home I need to do this, this and this um, book out the time to get some extra sleep and get, you know, make sure those decision-making processes have a chance to kind of reset, you know,
0: all great advice, even for normal day life, uh, scenarios yeah, as absolutely. well. Absolutely. Well, Nick, it's been an honor to have you here, and well, we you. appreciate you, you. You know, I, I, I love seeing you here. It's just one of the things I just hope I don't see you at work again. <laughs> sure. You sure. understand Understood. that? Understood. No <laughs> offense taken. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully it's, it's off the clock <laughs> and, and not uh, with the uh, lights coming on and helping me out. But I know that I'm in good hands if that was ever the case. So thank you very much, Nick, well, for joining us. Today. Thank you very much thank for having Thank you again. Me. Had a great time. And of course, that is uh, Nick Kaufman with the Emsa uh, here in Tulsa. They are the first responders to any medical needs, and we appreciate them greatly for joining us today. That is this podcast once again for Brandon and myself. We hope you enjoyed. If you have ever have any questions, just shoot us an email at mike.collier at or brandon.woolie at as well, and we'll be both glad to answer your questions. That is the latest edition of Beyond the Forecast.